0: Welcome to Paint My Mind podcast with your host, Rasmus Lindhagen. Follow along as we explore a wide range of different topics in search for a greater life and better problems. Now, enjoy the show. Dr. Jade Wu, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. How, how are you today?
1: Uh, I'm doing
0: great. It's
1: a sunny afternoon in the United States on the East Coast.
0: Awesome. Awesome. It's it's Yeah, it's nighttime over here. It's funny. We're going to talk about sleep, and it's actually almost past my bedtime already, but I'll sacrifice an, <laughs> an hour to, it's a good to chat with you. Yeah, yes. of course, <laughs> of course. So please tell the listeners just a short, give them a short introduction. Uh, What is it that you do and and why do you do that?
1: So I am a sleep psychologist or a behavioral sleep specialist. And this means that I help people to improve their sleep without medications. And I do this because, you know, I'm a trained clinical psychologist, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, as a as a foundation, and in all of my patients, whether they had anxiety or depression or um, you know any sort of mental health disorder or any sort of condition, I always found that sleep was a problem for them. And anytime sleep got better everything else got a little bit easier. So it just really inspired me to help improve people's sleep. I feel like this will raise the water for all boats. And if I can improve the sleep of everybody by even just 5%, 10%, you know, I think we will all be better off.
0: What a what a great cause. I love that. That's awesome. And I know you uh, recently, I want to say February, you released mm-hmm. a book. Yes, it's called Hello Sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Awesome. Yes. So hello sleep. Who is that for?
1: Hello sleep is for people with insomnia. So people who have trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep or, you know, just people who don't feel like their sleep is very good quality and they don't feel very rested. Um, So this book is for them. And I have actually special chapters for people who are going through pregnancy, postpartum, Mm. menopause, um, people who are going into retirement age, getting older, sleep tends to get a little bit uh, trickier, you know, when we get into older age. Uh, And people with chronic conditions like depression, chronic pain, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, sleep can be disrupted by any and all of these scenarios. Or even if you don't have any of these conditions, sleep can still be difficult. I mean, something like 10-15% of the population, at least here in the U.S., have chronic insomnia. So that's uh, who I'm trying to help with this book.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, because I hear that a lot these days. Is it the case that we suffer more from insomnia today than we would have maybe 40, 50 or 60 years ago?
1: It's possible. It's a little bit hard to say because the way we gather data about insomnia in the population has kind of changed over time. So we mm-hmm. can't really compare apples to oranges from you know half a century ago till now. But the general sense is that at least for the past 20 or 15 years or so, uh, we are seeing a trend of more people having insomnia symptoms. And in the past three years during the COVID pandemic, we definitely see more sleep problems, including oh. insomnia.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think that is? uh, What's the cause of that for specifically for the pandemic times?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a few reasons. Maybe one is uh, we all sort of lost our routines. Um, I don't know about you, but I started working from home instead of at the mm. office, so I didn't have to get up at, you know, the previous time I I saved a lot of time commuting to the office, which is good. That's an excellent thing. But then I, you know, if I didn't have a meeting until later in the day, maybe I don't get out of bed until later, or mm. you know, I um, I didn't get to see my friends very much because I was, you know, uh, stuck at home. So then I would be on social media talking to my friends or looking at videos because I was so bored, you know, late into the night. And so, you know, our routines get thrown off. Uh, You know, we don't get outside and get um, light exposure and activity as much as uh, we did before. Um, And also just the general stress of the pandemic, Uh, the uncertainty, not knowing when it would end, how much uh, it would impact our loved ones, our families and our communities, Um, I think there was just a lot of loss and anxiety around that, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think everyone had uh, everyone noticed uh, changes in in many, many ways during those years. And uh, thank God we're through it and uh, and we can kind (laughs) of live normally now. Yes.
1: Yes. yes. That's what I'm really happy to see is a lot of my patients are returning to their normal schedules and they can socialize more, get outside more. All of these things are actually really good for sleep. You know, the physical activity, the light exposure um, and doing all the things we love to do during the day can actually help you help you to sleep better at night.
0: Yeah. You touch on uh, light exposure there, which is something I'm beginning to hear more about not just for Mm -hmm. sleep, but for general health. But how how does that affect health? And what's like how much light exposure should you have? How does that affect your sleep? Yeah, and could you get into that a bit?
1: Sure. This is one of my favorite topics. Light is super important. It's, um, It's one of the best and it's also a free resource for people to improve their physical and mental health and their sleep health. So the reason it matters is because we humans, we are day animals. We're supposed to be awake during the day and asleep at night. And not only awake and asleep, but our bodies are supposed to do most of its physical functioning during the day. Like eating, uh, you know, physical activity, uh, using our brain power to solve problems. That's all supposed to happen during the day. And not much of that is supposed to happen at night. And but how does our brain know when it's daytime versus nighttime? Because our brains are inside our skulls. It's like shut away in this deep cave. It doesn't know what's going on outside. So really the only way for it to know is through light, that uh, mm. light entering through your eyes. So there are actually cells on the back wall of your eyeballs, on your retina that directly transmit information to the central clock in in your brain. This is the suprachiasmatic nucleus. It's a mouthful, so we'll just call it the master clock, right, so your eyes are sending light signals to the master clock, and when the master clock is getting lots of light signals, it knows, oh, it's daytime, let's get excited, let's get happy, let's get moving, you know, let's get the metabolism going. Um, But if there's not a lot of light, then it must be nighttime, then the brain releases melatonin, which is your, like, nighttime hormone which makes you sleepy and helps shut down your body to relax and do sleep Um, and then it starts over again the next day. So uh, basically light is one of the only ways that our brain has to keep track of time and when the master clock can keep, keep track of time then it's happy and if it's happy it can make us sleep better and wake better. But if it's not happy, if it's confused, like there's a lot of light in the evenings or at night, and there's not a lot of light during the day, then the clock will be confused and you will not sleep well um, and you will not feel as good during the day either.
0: Mm. So would it make a difference then? Because I hear that light exposure, which when I hear that, I think of going outside, Mm -hmm. being in the sun. But if I'm, let's just say hypothetically, I could stay inside all day, but look out my window, and I will see that it's daytime. With that, I mean, does that work as well? Or should you really go outside and get the sunlight on your skin and your eyes? It really going outside is better. It's not, yeah.
1: uh, well, you know. Uh, getting sunlight on your skin, I think that might be good for vitamin D as well. I'm not an expert in that.
0: Um, oh, it is. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm sure it's great. I'm not an
0: expert either, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's the case. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, the, so getting light on your skin, I don't think that necessarily matters for sleep, but the getting sunlight in your, not directly staring at the sun with your eyes, that will hurt your eyes, but uh, just being out. Uh, Outside Mm. um, is much better because even though you don't necessarily feel it, it's much brighter outside than inside, even on a cloudy day. Um, So I know you're in Sweden. I don't know about your climate. I I guess it's sometimes is it often cloudy or. uh,
0: Uh, Well, yeah, it is. But we mm. have uh, the worst part when it comes to sleep, I think for us is that in wintertime, we Mm. barely see the sun at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in summertime, like now, it, it, we're coming up to midsummer next week. Yes. Which means if you're in the northern part of Sweden, which I'm not, but mm-hmm. even here, sun goes up at like, I don't know, maybe 3.30. And it yeah. comes down at like 11. Yeah. At night. Yeah. So it's, it's basically bright for 20 hours, like almost. Yeah. And then in wintertime, it'll be dark for like 18, 19 hours, depending on where you live. But I, yeah. I think that affects all of us.
1: It does. You know, that's actually a really good point. I was going to say earlier, you know, even though it's your bedtime, I bet the sun is still up um, oh, yeah. it's because you're <laughs> in Sweden. Yeah. And that actually does impact mood and sleep. Um, people who live uh, in more northern latitudes are more prone to seasonal depression uh, in mm. the winter. And potentially more prone to sleep problems uh, winter or summer. So in the summer, especially now that we're coming up on midsummer, there's just so much daylight um, that your brain is just constantly stimulated and Feeling like it's daytime, and sometimes that, that can make it a little bit hard to wind down. Like there's still sunlight coming through the little cracks, you know, in between your yeah. curtain and your window, and so your brain is still getting that information that it's um, that it's daytime. So for for you um, during the summer, and for anybody who gets light exposure in the evenings. I recommend using blue light blocking glasses. So these are glasses that actually filter out some wavelengths, just the, um, the short wavelength light. So blue light, green light. Um, and that way, the remaining more orange and red long wavelength lights, those do not uh, stimulate the master clock in your brain uh Mm. as much so if you think about back to our like caveman days uh, you know we all had fires after after the sun went down right but the fires would not artificially keep you up orange red lights so if we can sort of simulate that any of the light that we get after you know bedtime um if that can be uh, or even getting close to bedtime if that can be orangey like firelight then our brains will know that it's getting to be evening and melatonin will will start to rise.
0: So, so blue, because I've heard a lot about blue light blocking glasses for Mm -hmm. screens, for TVs Mm -hmm. and and your phone and all this stuff, but so you can actually use that for the sun also?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it won't be perfect, but it's better than nothing.
0: Wow, that's, that's amazing. I never knew.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I recommend for you, you know, closing your curtains, putting on your blue light blocking glasses uh you know a couple of hours before bedtime just to give your brain a heads up like okay we're getting getting close to bedtime start winding down start releasing melatonin
0: yeah so yeah i'm going to get into <clears throat> myself personally you know uh, yeah. which might not be super interesting for everyone listening but it's, <laughs> it's just a short thing so i actually sleep like people are jealous of me because i i i can fall asleep at night time, even if it 's bright or what I, Ooh, I just wow. pass out, okay. I sleep all night uh-huh. till my alarm goes off uh-huh. and this I wanted to actually my wife said, "Please ask her this because we have two toddlers or oh. my youngest one is six months old Ooh, yeah, and i don 't even wake up when they cry wow. it 's almost scary, I feel ashamed <laughs> to say it, but I feel like it 's also out of my control, and she uh-huh. said, "Could you please ask?" The sleep doctor, because <laughs> she's getting annoyed because she wakes up every time. Uh, but I'm yes. like, they'll be screaming in my ears and I'm still snoring. Like, I'm still wow. sleeping. Okay. What, why well, is that? Why don't I wake up?
1: Well, good for you, first of all. Um. Well, I think good for you. I'm not sure yet. Um, yeah. So it sounds like <laughs> you're like the opposite of an insomnia patient. So you don't have trouble falling asleep. You oh, don't have trouble staying asleep. No. Um. Uh, if I may ask how long do you sleep? when do you go to bed when you wake up?
0: uh I'd say usually i I try to get between seven and eight hours, but okay. you know I usually get maybe between six and seven. That's probably okay. the average I'd say,
1: okay, yeah, and do you set your alarm for pretty early?
0: Yes, I wake up at uh, four forty five normally oh wow,
1: yeah. that's really early, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I
0: go to bed between nine and ten,
1: okay, okay usually. yeah. yeah. Um, well, if you go to bed around nine or ten, fall asleep quickly, and sleep until four forty-five, aren't you getting closer to like seven to eight hours of sleep? Like if you're
0: well, and, and nine o'clock is kind of uncommon. You, I would say I'm closer to ten o'clock at night. Okay, yeah.
1: okay yeah. gotcha. Well, yeah. it's possible that you're just one of those lucky, very, very, very easy sleepers, um, and it's also possible that you're maybe just a smidge sleep deprived. So when people fall asleep really easily and sleep like a dead log through the night and just have no awareness of anything during the sleep, um, it's possible that they're not getting enough opportunity to sleep. So I wonder, mm. for example, like hypothetically, if you set your alarm for half an hour later, um, mm. get a, an extra half hour of sleep in the morning, um, it you know you might not pass out quite as easily the next night. Uh, and it's actually generally a good thing to take a few minutes to fall asleep and maybe remember waking up like maybe once, once or twice, you know, um, not everyone is like that, but generally that's that's how we want sleep to be if you're falling asleep so easily and you're sleeping like a dead log you know um that might be indication that you're not uh, your body is so desperate to sleep that it's not waking up even when oh really yeah yeah
0: wow i never thought because i always feel pretty energized during the day, mm. I, I don't feel sleepy. I don't feel tired until like eight o'clock at night. When my mm. when my kids fall asleep, then I start feeling it. And, yeah. and but it is kind of scary because I I, I I couldn't tell you the last time I woke up in the middle of the night mm. uh, without someone like actually waking me up. Yeah, uh, I don't remember my dreams ever mm. unless they're super super scary, which mm. is okay. almost never. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. People are like jealous of me, but I'm not sure it's a good thing. That's why I'm asking, because I'm like, it's almost too good. Yeah. Could there be something there? Yeah.
1: yeah, I do wonder if maybe you could use a little extra sleep in the morning because dreaming happens during REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And that tends to happen in the last the second half of the night, especially in the last Mm. couple hours. So you know, not everyone remembers their dreams. That's, it's okay if you don't. Um, but generally, you know, a lot of my patients, for example, say that when they finally start sleeping well and start sleeping a full night and they feel like they're getting their full night's sleep, they'll suddenly start to notice their dreams more because they're getting that full bout mm-hmm. of REM at the end of the night. So I wonder, maybe, just maybe, you're like cutting off your REM a little bit too early in the
0: morning. could could i change it could i just go to bed a bit earlier instead of waking up later
1: uh you could but there's a limit to that so everyone has a natural chronotype which is like a uh, like a biological propensity um to fall asleep and wake up at a certain time so i'm more of a night owl so opposite of you Mm -hmm. you know uh for for you and me even if we just sleep the exact same amount let's say seven hours if i sleep at the time that I prefer, which is late, then it's better quality sleep than if I sleep early. So even Mm. if it's the same amount of sleep, the timing really matters. So your natural chronotype, you're probably a morning bird already, um, but if you make yourself too early, like if you go to bed too early, wake up too early, then um, if that is a mismatch from your natural chronotype, then you will not get as good quality sleep, or you may yeah. start to have trouble falling asleep at the beginning of the night.
0: Okay. Yeah. I so see.
1: always work with your biology instead of against your biology.
0: Yeah. Is that the, does that have something to do with the circ- circadian rhythm that yes, people that's talk exactly about? Yes, exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. We all have circadian
1: yeah. rhythms. It's just some of us are um, have a chronotype that's early, some that are late, and most of us are in between.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, what are some for just for the general population? Now, I know a lot of people probably think that they sleep better than they do, maybe mm-hmm. like me, mm-hmm. uh, and some people might think that they sleep worse than they do. And so like, it's very yeah. hard. It's a hard thing to keep track of yourself because it can vary so much day to day, and and it's it's so hard to know. What are some? What would you say are the best? Like a couple of things that are like do's and don'ts for sleep?
1: Mm, yes, great question. And you're exactly right. Um, there are many people who are not sleeping enough, but don't realize they have an issue. And then there are lots of my insomnia patients are sleeping enough overall, but they feel like they should be sleeping more, and then they're being getting stressed out about it. So it's actually, you're right, it's actually really hard to give a general message that uh, you know, that makes sense for everybody to hear. Um, but even even so, I think there are a couple things to keep in mind for everybody. One is circadian stability. So we've already talked about circadian rhythm. That's our natural biological clock, runs about every 24 hours. The more stable we can keep that circadian rhythm, the happier our bodies and brains will be. And the happier our bodies and brains will be, the better we'll sleep and better we'll feel during the day. Mm. So that means generally waking up at around the same time um, throughout the week even on days where you don't work or don't have school um so you know you don't have to be perfect about it but maybe within an hour so if you usually wake up at five maybe on weekends you can wake up at six uh you know something like that within an hour the way to think about it is you don't want to be jet lagged every single weekend Um, You don't want to be traveling, you know, multiple time zones by waking up later or going to bed later or going to bed a lot earlier. Um, So in the United States, a lot of my patients on the East Coast will go to bed three hours later and wake up three hours later on weekends. Hmm. And so that's like traveling all the way to the West Coast, traveling from New York to Los Angeles and then traveling back to New York on Monday. So that's really, really difficult for your circadian rhythm. It makes it... um, confusing for that master clock in your brain it makes it harder to fall asleep harder to have good quality sleep harder to feel good during the day so stable circadian rhythms is very important Um, another circadian point getting light during the day so we've already talked about this but I think it's important to repeat um, the when you get more light during the day than the amount of light you have at night matters less. So a lot of people are worried, oh, does this mean I shouldn't use my computer or shouldn't use my phone at all in the evenings? Um, that's okay. You can still use them just as long as you get light exposure during the day, like at least half an hour outside. That way mm. the contrast between daytime light and evening light is big and your brain can, can figure out the difference. Oh. Um, let's see. Are there any other ones? I would say, oh, another one is to uh adapt with change go with the flow so as you say you know your sleep needs change from day to day you're absolutely right about that um like if you uh you know if you're an athlete and you're training for a marathon you're going to need more sleep during training probably than when you're not training um in the summers you may need less sleep than in the winters uh, especially when there's such a when you're at such a northern latitude or very southern latitude, when the day, daylight hours change a lot, um, depends on your emotional state, your hormonal state, whether you're pregnant or whether you have kids. You know, I have two little kids as well, and my sleep is <laughs> totally different now than it used to be. So the only constant with sleep is constant change. And if we keep having the same expectations and same um, you know, rules for our own sleep, then we will be disappointed and we will be fighting with our sleep. Whereas if we allow things to change and listen to our bodies and sleep as much as our bodies want, no more, no less, then we will have healthy sleep and a good long-term relationship with sleep.
0: So you touched on a few things there I I wanna ask you about, but the last thing you said there was sleep as long as your body wants to, Mm -hmm. which for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people can probably relate to it also, because if I just go to sleep and no alarm or anything, and before mm. I had kids now, because they wake me up, obviously. Yeah. But before that, and I just slept till I woke up, yeah. I would not feel good when I woke up. Mm. I, I, I feel bad when I sleep more than like eight hours mm. for some reason. I don't know why, but like if I just sleep through it, I don't feel as good. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that I've slept too much, or does it mean that I, I'm i just not used to sleeping that much?
1: Well, I'm guessing in those scenarios, you probably uh, did not sleep more than eight hours every day, right? So there was probably some, like, some days it was shorter, and then yeah, yeah. sometimes it was long. So you didn't feel good, not because you necessarily slept too much, but because there was uh, circadian instability, so, oh, yeah, yeah, so the timing or the amount, like, your body was just confused, <clears throat> like, is the day 24 hours long or is it 30 hours long? Uh, I you know? see. So that's why you didn't feel good. But, um, so, okay, so that's actually another clue that you maybe did not usually get enough sleep. So if you're able to suddenly sleep a lot longer than usual, that means your body was craving that sleep all along. So if you do have a healthy rhythm and you're generally getting enough sleep, What will happen is generally you'll uh, sleep about the same amount each day um, with fluctuation with the seasons and training and stuff like that, but generally about the same amount day to day. Um, And you'll probably naturally wake up around the same time day to day as well. Um, Or you'll wake up with an alarm but feel like pretty ready to go um, pretty quickly. Mm. So yeah, does that answer your question?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Because it makes a lot of sense that if I normally sleep, let's say, six or seven hours, and then on the mm-hmm. weekend, I sleep for nine hours, that mm-hmm. that biological clock, as you were talking about, would go kind of crazy. Like, what is this? Yeah. Gets confused, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And in that case, you will have traveled to, I guess, the middle of the, the Atlantic Ocean um, mm-hmm. or something time zone-wise. I don't know if Iceland is
0: like how many hours, uh, uh, probably only one. Oh from, yeah. From us one well, or maybe two, but yeah. So, yeah. so it'd be like, I traveled to three hours, <laughs> exactly. Three hours different the, time the, zone.
1: Atlantic ocean and then travel yeah. back like that. Yeah. That would definitely not feel very good. But if you are able to sleep a lot more on weekends than weekdays, that just means you're not getting enough sleep on weekdays. Like if you're, uh, if you're pretty consistent from day to day, there's no such thing as sleeping too much. Like your body won't let you sleep too much. Like if you didn't need it, your body just won't let you sleep. It would rather do other things because sleeping is a pretty um, vulnerable state, right? Like think about our caveman ancestors again. Um, If they didn't need to sleep, why would they be unconscious, belly up, you know, uh, not aware of their surroundings? That's a very dangerous state to be in. So we only sleep when we actually need it. Um, yeah. So the fact that your body allowed you to sleep longer meant that you weren't getting enough sleep during the week.
0: Wow. That mm-hmm. that makes me sad in some way, because if you look at society, at least here in the West, mm-hmm. how many people just fall asleep and just wake up with no alarm and nothing like mm-hmm. that? It feels to me like that's the way it's supposed to be
1: mm-hmm.
0: biologically, at least.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And today, I, I don't think I know anyone who does that.
1: Mm, yeah, maybe there are some people who don't work anymore. Like they're retired. Yeah, Uh, maybe. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. Wouldn't you
0: need that good sleep when you're actually doing stuff, when you're actually, that's when you need it the most, when you're working (laughs) and when you're training and when you're Mm -hmm, doing all these little
1: kids and yeah, absolutely. I know I feel a little bit sad about that too. I I always, you know, wish for a, a utopian future where, um, there's a lot more flexibility, first of all, for people to, to live by their own natural sleep schedule. Like, I don't know, half the population, maybe a quarter of the population at least it are are night owls, or at least they're like a little bit, you know, a slightly mm-hmm. night owl. Um, and if they could only just go to bed and wake up half an hour later or an hour later than school or work requires them to, they would be so much happier, better functioning, you know. Um, so it is too bad, you know. It's it, it's. I feel like our sleep has been rolled into this um, capitalist machinery, um, and you know. Actually, speaking of that, if you really want to go back to the natural days of sleep, um, back before industrial. Uh, Yeah. Before the Industrial Revolution, uh, we have lots of data or we have, you know, records from Europe, at least Western Europe that people used to the nighttime was a lot longer. People went to bed earlier. They maybe woke up around the same time or later, but they were awake about a couple of hours in the middle of the night. It's like the opposite of a siesta. It's like they sleep one chunk and then they're awake to visit neighbors, sing songs, you know, make bread, make love. Yeah. And then they went <laughs> back to their second second sleep, then they slept another chunk, and then they would get up with a sunrise or whatever and go about their day. And then they would take a siesta in the in the early afternoon. So it's almost like naturally our sleep needs a break in the middle and our wake needs a break in the middle. So that's how our biology would naturally operate if we didn't have, um, you know, really? schedules. so we
0: would actually split the night into two parts uh-huh. yes. and have like a midnight party. Like,
1: yeah, <laughs> what? exactly. That's why wow. so many people wake up at about the same time every night. And they're like, why the heck am I awake? You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't anxious about anything. I didn't have anything that bothered me. I'm just awake. Um, it's a very, very common experience, especially with people with insomnia. You know, often I tell people it's not necessarily insomnia. This is just your natural biology. We're just forcing our biology to consolidate our sleep into one continuous chunk and expecting sleep to happen um, like that. Whoa.
0: So what would be in a best case scenario for someone who does wake up at the same around the same time every night, let's say midnight
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: in and in a perfect scenario, would they like wake up and go and do stuff for a couple hours and then come back? Like,
1: yeah, if their schedule allows them to still get enough sleep, you know, if they still have to get up really early, early, so early that they won't get enough sleep, um, then, you know, we can work on. Uh, the insomnia get them back to sleep more quickly help them to wind down and get back to sleep Um, but if they have the freedom you know they're retired or they you know have their own schedule and they can just wake up later by all means they can spend a couple of hours just reading or uh, doing art or doing whatever during the night um, and then go back to their second sleep as long as you're getting enough sleep and as long as your circadian rhythm is pretty stable then you're good
0: that, that sounds like so much fun. I wish I could do that. Wake up at <laughs> midnight and be up for a couple of hours. hours. Yeah, That'd be awesome. That would be cool. I would love yeah. that
1: too. Yeah.
0: You touched on something uh, a few minutes ago that I wanted to ask <clears throat> about too. We talked about blue light uh, blocking mm-hmm. uh, glasses and you talked about sunlight exposure and things like this. And then you said, I'm probably misquoting you here, but okay. if you get more sunlight in the day, Mm-hmm. It it would be more okay to use screens and stuff like that at night. Yes, that's good But
1: mm-hmm.
0: I never heard that before. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask, like, your recommendation, because you hear this from other, I, I've listened to Matthew Walker and I've mm-hmm. listened to a few other sleep experts, mm-hmm. and they're, usually their recommendation would be just, don't use screens at night Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would that be the best way to do it or like is there Mm -hmm. is there research to suggest that it makes a huge difference or are we actually okay to scroll the phone or watch the show before we go to bed if we get out and get light
1: yes great question i'm so glad you asked about the the research evidence because there are there is actually evidence good evidence that specifically you know if you get enough light during the day which in these studies was about 20 minutes of bright light exposure either outside or with a light box um then something like one or two hours of screen use in the evening um and i don't think it was like a super bright screen you can always dim your screen you know Mm -hmm. Um, but a couple of hours of screen use in the evening was okay Uh, was not different from uh, not using a screen or other control groups. Really? so We do actively have evidence that it is okay to use your screens if you have A good amount of bright light exposure during the day. And now the research uh, was like 20 minutes of bright light during the day. I would maybe be a little more generous and say like 30 minutes uh, would be Mm -hmm. good. Um, And it's also good because if you're outside getting that light, which you can get it indoors with a bright light box, you know, but outside you're also getting fresh air, you're enjoying nature, maybe uh, you're getting physical exercise. So that's, you know, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But one caveat though, is the content of what you watch on your screens or what you do on your screens doesn't matter. So even if the light from the screens is technically okay, if you are um, watching material that's very upsetting for example, or you're doom scrolling Mm -hmm. Twitter and just getting all the bad news from the world and getting angry at people on Twitter, then maybe that stimulates you and makes it hard to sleep, right? So it's maybe the content of what you're doing on your screens at night that's more important than the actual light itself.
0: Wow, that's that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. That is really interesting. So would it matter also, uh, because you you talk about the content, Uh, my first thought was like, it's probably better to watch a show. Like if I'm watching Friends, let's say, Mm -hmm. that would be better than being on TikTok, I Mm -hmm. assume, because the fast changes in what you're seeing would stress your brain out. Uh, Am I I correct in that?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure there's direct research evidence testing that, but someone should test that if they haven't already. But I would bet money that TikTok is a lot more sleep disrupting than watching a TV show. Um, yeah. because yeah, TikTok, you're right, it's just so fast and it's so the emotional tone can switch back and forth really quickly too. Mm-hmm. Um and also it's just not giving your brain a chance to rest. Like I always say, Oh, here's another universal advice I would give to everybody, which is we do need some wind down time before going to bed. We can't I was just, just gonna back. ask. Yeah. yeah. We can't really expect our brains to just switch off. You know, that's not really realistic. We have to give it some ramp down because even the brain state of being awake being versus being asleep is not black or white it's actually more of a ramp so even when you close your eyes and start falling asleep that's still not a black or white that's still a ramp so the process of falling asleep actually begins before you go to bed and ends sometime after you go to bed that whole time you're kind of ramping down so help your body to ramp down you know by decreasing the amount of stimulation Um, switching gears from being like productive checking work email trying to get stuff done switch gears to something more relaxing like oh I'm just enjoying uh, my family I'm enjoying music or I'm writing in my journal reading a book something more low key like that um, I think would be uh, we we do know from research that that is more helpful for sleep
0: yeah so but how much wind down time would you need typically um
1: a half hour let's say Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah something
1: like that you can experiment with it
0: yeah of course because i i I just assume now and i think i'm pretty regular like everyone else i usually if i if i watch something at night or if i'm at the computer working Mm -hmm. i usually go pretty much straight from that brushing my teeth Mm -hmm. straight to bed which i assume a lot if not most people do they are on netflix and they're almost falling asleep on the couch and then they go oh i'm so sleepy i'll turn it off and go to bed yeah. which seems to me just from what i from what i hear from people like you that's probably not the best idea
1: yeah i i think that would be that's a fair thing to say especially because um you know if you are able to do that like switch gears directly from doing something stimulating or watching netflix and then go to the bed go to bed and fall asleep quickly, that means you were probably sleepy before you went to bed. But the Netflix or the uh TikTok or whatever was just overriding that sleepiness or masking that. So you mm. weren't able to listen to your body and feel that sleepiness as it become as it became evident. Um which is how a lot of people end up not getting enough sleep. They're like, well, I'm not sleepy, you know, so I go to bed when I feel sleepy. But if you're sleepy while watching Tiktok, then you're really sleepy. You're like beyond <laughs> the point of like, just yeah, just a little bit. So we're sort of missing our our body's natural cues.
0: Yeah. So if you say you're not sleepy while watching TV or Tiktok, yeah. probably if you just didn't watch it, you would already be asleep
1: maybe it's possible for some people yes maybe for some people not so much but it's always worth experimenting i think with a more low-key activity like uh, you know i I should say i often am uh watching youtube or something before bed so i'm certainly not perfect in this but on the nights when i don't do that when i hang out with my husband or i read a book or I journal or i hang out with my dog and just pet him for a while i do feel better so even if I end up going to bed around the same time, I f- my body feels more calm. I think I get better quality sleep. Um, and just, you know, my general mood is is better. So even if you're not sleep deprived, I think it's worth trying a a better wind down.
0: Yeah, awesome. So I wanna to touch on something else that I think a lot of people use. Uh, I've never, I, I probably used it once on a plane. Uh, which is sleeping pills mm-hmm. and to me I'm always uh I don't know I, I don't know how to explain it I'm I'm very much I, I think a lot of the the medications that we take are just a band-aid of to, mm-hmm. that we put on a problem that we're not solving the problem we're just putting band-aids on the, the actual issue, and it works for some time, but it's probably not optimal. Do you Have you ever looked at that? Like is sleeping pills a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it neutral? Uh, sh- should we take it if we struggle sleep or should we try to solve the problem some other way?
1: Yeah, this is um, such an interesting question because it's quite difficult to answer, actually. I think about this every day, and I'm still trying to figure out the best way to communicate about sleep medication. So I think the way I like to think of sleep medication is it is absolutely okay to use it if prescribed by your doctor, you know, um, and to use it as a tool to help. But I think you're right that it's not a permanent solution because it doesn't tend to get at the root of the problem. So it's almost like if you break your leg, you know, you you'll use a um, like a splint or a cast mm-hmm. as a temporary measure just to keep things together, you know, so, t- t- so it doesn't get worse. Right. But long term you're going to have to do physical therapy and exercise and things like that to get your leg back to full functioning Mm -hmm. um and just having a cast on for the rest of your life i mean that's not very (laughs) very feasible right and with sleep medication many people do end up using long term because unfortunately uh, there's not a lot of access to good alternatives so i certainly don't judge people or um you know don't like like, I think people are just doing the best that they can when they use sleep medications. And there are definitely times when sleep medication is the best option when you're going through like a short term, very stressful period. Like if you're going through a divorce, you know, and you're you just cannot. Relax enough for sleep that's a great time to use sleep medications That's exactly what Ambien was designed for, right mm. and there are some better medications now that are more specific and more targeted in your brain um, chemistry so that it has fewer side effects and fewer problems um so you know I'm optimistic that things are getting better in that in that end um but yeah it's none of the sleep medications truly solves a problem of insomnia. Um, and none of them are really meant or even approved for long-term use many people gain tolerance, so it doesn't work anymore, or gain uh, dependence where they become sort of addicted to the medication, whether chemically or physiologically or psychologically. Um, And then a lot of doctors will not prescribe you some sleep medications once you reach the age of 65 or around there, because then the risk of those medications becomes higher, and it's just too risky um, to keep Mm -hmm. taking them. Um, So anyway, there are lots of good Motivations, I guess, to get off of uh, sleep medications or to not start them in the first place, and cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the the one alternative that we have a ton of data on, ton of research showing that it is very effective. It is, you know, it is actually the gold standard first line treatment, um, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, and I believe the Um, I think the European Council for Sleep Medicine agrees with that. Uh, I I don't remember the name of the European Council, but (laughs) they do agree as well that CBTI is the, the best approach. Because this changes your behaviors around sleep, like what time that you're going to bed, what are you doing in the evenings, what are you doing during the day, your attitudes and your thoughts about sleep. Like, are you approaching sleep with fear and frustration? Or are you approaching it uh, as a friend, you know, with optimism and with with relaxation? And um, are you kind of rolling, going with the flow of changes or are you being very rigid? So all of these things matter. Um, and if if we change these things, we can change our relationship with sleep. And without medications, you can have good sleep, a good healthy relationship with sleep again. So I help every day I'm working with people without medications um, to accomplish this. And, um, you know, it's like there's no drug company that sells cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not (laughs) paid by anybody to say this. I truly just believe it because I've seen it with hundreds of patients that I've worked with. And the data is indisputable as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean it seems to me just a smarter way to do it is to solve the core issue of why Mm -hmm. you're not sleeping well, but I can also understand why people, I mean, we are lazy by nature and some (laughs) sometimes, and we want the easy path to whatever it is we're missing. Mm -hmm. And if we can, if everyone could take a pill and get fit, Mm. the gyms would be empty. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with with this, I assume. Like if I'm not sleeping well and I can take a pill instead of spending a ton of time with, you know, in in, uh, therapy and working on myself Mm -hmm. and maybe I have a very stressful life where I feel that I don't have time to, you know, talk to somebody or Mm -hmm. look inwards and, and look at these things. Of course, a pill is very tempting. And once you get on that pill... It would be so easy to just keep that rolling, I assume. Yeah.
1: because it's hard to get off yeah. of, you know, a, a chemical because your body does start to rely on it. And when people try to stop taking sleeping pills on their own, they usually have rebound insomnia. So they'll, like not be able to sleep at all for a night or two and then that's really scary so of course then you jump back on the pill um and you uh you say okay well i guess i'll just have to take take this forever um but that's not true people can come off of sleep medications if you do it in a gradual um and, and sort of guided way and you do it after you already have the skills um The behavioral skills so it's like once you build up the foundation the scaffolding then you can let go of the other you know the crutch um but i think i think you're so right about the motivations here but also i think we need to acknowledge that it's just really really hard to access cbti the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia there are only you know you know, two, three, 300-ish of us who are behavioral sleep medicine specialists in the world. Most of them are credentialed in in the U.S. So it's just a very, very niche field for many, many people who have this problem. So I certainly don't blame people, you know, for not even knowing that this is an option, or even if they know it's an option, not being able to access that option. Um, But luckily, there are some more, uh you know options now, like there are apps and there are books, hopefully that can help, and there are um you know online programs um if you want, I can send you over some of those links for you to include in the show notes, so people oh can yeah,
0: sure of access those.
1: yeah um y- there are some more options now, but it is still really hard to find um a specialist to do the one on one therapy,
0: yeah, yeah, what about melatonin? Because I hear people supplement with melatonin, and this is just my like. Obviously, I'm no nowhere near an expert on this topic or any me- medical anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I hear things and I listen to stuff. And uh, when people, because in some ways the body, if you if you start supplementing with something like take testosterone for example, mm-hmm. if I were to start taking uh, testosterone therapy. Mm-hmm my body will eventually stop producing mm-hmm. testosterone naturally. So when I hear people uh, supplement with melatonin, mm-hmm. I think would that effect, like if you do that for like, let's say a year or two, mm-hmm. and then you stop, with your would your body still be able to produce the right amount of melatonin? Or are you fucking with your system, so to speak?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, any... My philosophy is kind of anything that you take is going to fuck with your system one way or another. Mm. But that's not necessarily how melatonin does it. So melatonin, there's three things to know about it. So first, I'll directly answer your question, which is there is some evidence that I just learned from the conference that all the sleep experts researchers descended upon like a week ago. I just learned that there is evidence showing that actually your body will continue to produce its own melatonin, even if you've been taking uh, melatonin from outside for a little while. Now, that's not 100% for sure because the the study period was, I don't remember how long, but it was not forever. It was not a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could change if you're taking melatonin for longer. And also the dosage of melatonin might matter. It might be that if you take a low dose, it's okay, but if you take a high dose, then that changes things. We're not sure, Um, but just preliminary evidence, it seems like maybe it doesn't quite work like testosterone in, in that your body won't produce it anymore. So that's reassuring. However, the other two main things to know about melatonin, one is that it is not a sleep aid This is like the biggest myth in the entire world is that everyone thinks that melatonin will help you sleep by making you sleepy, by knocking you out. It is not a sleep medicine. It is a synthetic hormone, or rather your body produces melatonin. If you're taking it, you're taking the synthetic melatonin. It's a hormone that, um, like we said earlier, uh, keeps track of time in your body so when you're the master clock in your brain when it sees that light is light is getting dimmer and like the sun is setting there's no more no more light then it must be nighttime, and it re- um, and then it starts to ramp up melatonin in your system and the melatonin is the messenger going to all parts of the body saying, "Hey uh, like everybody it's starting to be nighttime, so shut down the machinery, you know pack everything up uh, the factory is setting down for the night so that's what melatonin's job is so it's not there to make you sleep it's just there to keep track of time and tell your body what time it is mm-hmm. um, And the third thing, Most important thing to learn about melatonin is that, uh, well, you know, in Sweden, it might be much better, but in the U.S., this is not FDA regulated. It is over the counter. And um, two major studies now have shown that the amount of melatonin in the -the over-the-counter pills might be a lot more than what is advertised on the label. So it might say one milligram, but it could be like four and a half milligrams. And if you're taking one that's three milligrams or five milligrams, you could be taking a crap load, like a shitload of melatonin, and that's not good because when when you take a lot of melatonin, it stays in your system and your body thinks it's nighttime for as long as it lasts in your system, which could be many, many, many hours. And that could really mess with your circadian rhythm. And even within the same bottle of melatonin, it could be more or less between the pills. So you know, if every day you're taking a different dose, then your circadian rhythm is going
0: to be confused too. So How do they get that so wrong? How hard is it to put one milligram of melatonin in all pills? You know, I don't know. It
1: must be very hard because because it's not happening. There are some brands that are better. One on the top of my head, and I have no affiliation with this company, um, but it's Natrol. Natrol does actually have a certification that said, you know, some you know, reputable agency went in and checked how much is in their pills and they actually have the correct amount, plus or minus 10%. And so that's good. But most of the other brands are like, you know, could be all over the place. And some of them have serotonin when they're not supposed to have serotonin or CBD when they're not supposed to have CBD. So it's like you don't know what you're getting, at least in the U.S. I think in Sweden it's uh, prescription only, right? Melatonin. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah that's yeah.
1: better. So at least it's regulated, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds cr- crazy because if, if you get one milligram in the one pill and that's like a good amount and then you get four the next day, that would mean that when you wake up, your body would probably mm-hmm. s- still think it's nighttime for like exactly. three or four more hours. Yeah. Or like who knows. Or but for like, however
1: long. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: however long it lasts in your system. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that That is crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And melatonin should only be used or okay. Uh, is usually used. It's indicated for use in people with circadian rhythm disorders, not insomnia or like other sleep problems or no uh-huh. sleep problems. So if you are a night owl, like an extreme night owl, and you really need to be an early bird, you use melatonin, a small dose, like half a milligram, Or one milligram several hours before your habitual bedtime to shift to help shift your nighttime earlier so it's almost like you're sending out messengers in your body earlier than your body normally would do on its own to say okay it's nighttime shut shut everything down so that is really uh, to help adjust your body clock but most people are taking it wrong, they're taking it at bedtime. but by that time you already have your own melatonin going on. You don't really need any uh-huh. like outside melatonin or if you take too much outside melatonin, then it's a problem for the morning. So for people with circadian uh, rhythm problems, shift work, jet lag, um, you know other things, uh, delayed sleep phase, night owl syndrome, you know, talk to your doctor, they can prescribe you. Uh, you know one one milligram or so and you can take it if you get permission from your doctor several hours like five-ish hours four to five hours before bedtime and that's how you shift your circadian rhythm but it's not effective for insomnia it's not Mm effective for other effective for other sleep disorders
0: Interesting. I meant to ask you previously, but you touched on early birds versus uh, night owls. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, do we know why it differs from Mm -hmm. person to person? Is it genetic or where does that come from? Because I previously would have assumed that it's like a habit thing. Mm -hmm. Mm Because people tell me, you know, well, I'm I'm not a morning person. And I just go, well, if you just do it for like three months you will be that's my that that how i used to look at it Mm -hmm. but i'm thinking now that you probably have a different idea of how that works
1: well you're not totally wrong about the doing it for three months thing and i'll say why in a minute but yes it is largely genetic it is part of it is Mm -hmm. environment environments even like what latitude uh you live at you know your physical environment Um, your family environment habit these things all matter but it it is strongly genetic so you know there are people who are just hardwired to be morning people versus night people and there's a good reason for that um evolutionarily speaking you know again coming back to our caveman cave women if everybody in the tribe fell asleep at exactly the same time every day and woke up at the same time every day everyone's going to get eaten by a saber-tooth tiger, right? <laughs> so it's good to have diversity, just like it's good to have yeah. diversity in our personality and, and all our other traits. It's good to have diversity in when we sleep and how much we sleep. So, you know, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with being a night owl. It's just that our modern society expect pe- expects people to be morning people. That's where mm, yeah. things get a little tricky. But you're also right that our chronotype is... It's not set in stone it is responsive to the environment because you know as a season change or if we migrate south or migrate north you know we can't just be stuck in our old ways we have to be able to change right so we can change with some effort so night owls can become morning people if they have lots of bright light uh during during the day even more than the the amount that we talked about before like mm-hmm. uh this really cool study Uh, One of my favorite researchers, Kenneth Wright, he's a a circadian researcher. Um, He took a bunch of people camping. Um, So some of these people were already morning people. Some of them were night owls. He took them all camping and uh, nobody had a cell phone or like screens in the evenings. They only have firelight in the evenings. Everybody was out hiking and doing things outdoors all day long. And by the end of like a four day, five day camping trip, everybody was a morning person. Even if you look at the melatonin profile, like the previously the night owls, now they're biologically functioning like a morning person. Really? Um, yeah. But that's wow. only with this extreme example of like being outdoors all night, no screens at night, you know, this like really huge contrast between day and night and getting up early and things like that. Um, so it's not feasible for most of us to go camping all the time. Um, and for night owls, For biological night owls, we have to sort of keep working at it. We're always kind of fighting our biology a little bit um, to remain a a morning person. We can't just do it once and then relax for the rest of our life. We have to kind of keep at it, which is kind of annoying um, because for people who are night owls, not only are we a little later, our biological clock tends to run longer. So instead of 24 hours, or the average person is like 24.1 hours, uh, I might be like a twenty four point five hours person, so oh. every day if i if I let myself, if I didn't have any light during the day or cues or anything like that, I would just go to bed thirty minutes later every day until I went all the way around the clock if I lived in the cave so that's why I have to keep fighting my biology to remain a morning person so you know
0: what wow. what an interesting study yeah, <clears throat> and you said it is like an extreme uh, circumstance, but like mm-hmm. if you look it really is the more natural way for us to be outdoors. Yeah, like it's only in the last few hundred years when we've lived in mm-hmm. the way we live now. Right. That's
1: true. So that's, that's very, that's
0: very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Study. Yeah. There was one more thing I wanted to touch on. What was it? Oh, I can't remember. Oh yeah. If, cause I heard Matthew Walker, Mm -hmm. Talk about what, like what the negative effects of sleeping, like not sleeping enough Mm
1: -hmm. can be. Mm -hmm.
0: Could you talk on that a little bit? Like what actually, because I obviously I think everyone has gone through phases when we're not sleeping enough. Mm -hmm. But we always like even if I only sleep three hours one night, I still feel like I'm kind of normal the next day, a bit tired, but I feel like I'm functioning fine. Mm -hmm. But when I heard him talk about it, it sounded Mm -hmm. like that is that can have severe consequences for he was talking about doctors. He was talking about truck drivers, I think, and a few Mm -hmm. other uh, groups. And he was saying, I I don't remember any numbers or any percentages, but Mm -hmm. basically if you sleep, if you don't sleep enough, Mm-hmm. It has a huge impact on your, um, what's the word for it?
1: Like functioning performance. For,
0: yeah. yeah, even yeah. though we we may not notice it, mm-hmm. notice it ourselves.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So that is that is true with some caveats. So. Um, hmm, this is a very complex issue again. So I want to make sure I responsibly communicate the message. I don't want to make anybody unduly anxious. Uh, So first of all, let's talk about time scales here. If you just have one night where you only got three hours because you stayed out partying with friends that you haven't seen for a while, that's fine. It's okay. Go have fun. You know, we all should be doing that sometimes. Um, Your body is very resilient. You may not feel your best the next day. And you may be like, you know kind of jet lag for the rest of the week but that's not going to do major damage to your health um and and even your performance your body may very well be able to cope even the next day with mostly functioning fine um but if we're talking about chronic sleep deprivation of getting less sleep than we need uh day after day week after week then absolutely the the negative effects will add up for our functioning, for our performance, for our metabolism, for our heart health. Every aspect of our health is negatively impacted when we don't sleep enough. Just like if we don't drink enough water, don't eat enough uh, food, you know, that negatively impacts everything too. Sleep is the same way. Um, But another caveat I want to say is there is a difference between chronic sleep deprivation and chronic insomnia so insomnia is when you have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep you're awake for long periods and during the night you don't feel great about your sleep um but you have enough opportunity to sleep so it's not like anybody is forcing you to stay out of bed you're like you have all the resources yeah. you have the you know opportunity your brain is just not really letting you sleep for some uh, at least not during the times that you would prefer Whereas sleep deprivation is when outside circumstances prevent you from having the opportunity to sleep, um, so that's like if someone works multiple jobs or has a lot of has a lot of childcare, you know, responsibilities, or they just stay up late doing stuff and they don't let themselves sleep. The two are very different in terms of consequences. There is some overlap, somewhat long term, maybe, um, but mostly the acute, short term effects are like almost opposite are totally different and long-term effects are different as well Um, because most people or or at least a lot of people I'll say most people with insomnia are not sleep deprived they're actually overall getting enough sleep but either their circadian rhythm is off track and some nights they're sleeping more some less or they're expecting that they should get more sleep but they don't actually need it Um, or their sleep quality is not ideal and then they're worrying and stressing about their sleep a lot so then they're feeling worse about their sleep than their their sleep actually is there are many many ways that you can have insomnia without having sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. so that's one reassurance i want to give to listeners with insomnia is the all the sleep deprivation negative effects that matthew walker has told you about they probably do not apply to you so do not worry about that let's just work work on getting your relationship with sleep better. You know, if you were sleep deprived, you'll be really sleepy. If you were really sleepy, you wouldn't have insomnia. So just trust that your body will tell you if you need more sleep by mm-hmm. making you really sleepy. So that's those are my caveats. <laughs> Hopefully I yeah, haven't scared yeah. too many people. That
0: is, I think that's very important to, to mm-hmm. make a distinction between insomnia and sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But so if you are sleep deprived for a long period of time, mm-hmm. That will affect your performance in whatever it is that you do in a very negative way, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And it's possible that you may not realize it. There are actually studies, um, especially with younger adults for some reason, um, who, uh, when they are sleep deprived, they are less likely to realize they're sleep deprived and they're, uh, they're more likely to rate their own performance as perfectly fine, uh, but their actual performance is not good whereas um for people with insomnia and i think older people too when they're sleep deprived they they notice it more and they're more concerned about the negative effects and they think they perform really poorly but they actually perform okay so i think age makes a difference whether or not you have insomnia makes a difference it's a little tricky because some people like are sleep deprived and feel great some people are not sleep deprived and Think they are and they feel terrible so it's really hard to you know you have to figure out person by person what's going on with them
0: of course well a lot of it is psychological uh yeah. i would guess like mm-hmm. with with anything else if you think you're sleep deprived you're probably going to be sleepier uh mm-hmm. foggier than mm-hmm. you would if you didn't believe that you had that problem mm-hmm. yeah uh, that's which goes true. i think for a lot of things in life uh, yes the psychological part of it is huge in, yeah. in many things.
1: Yeah, That's very true.
0: Yeah. Dr. Jade, this has been awesome. I love talking about things like this <laughs> and learning many, many new, new things. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? I know your book, obviously. Anyone listening, please, if you have problems with your sleep or not, just want to learn new things, order the book, Hello Sleep. Mm-hmm. There it uh- is.
1: It there, yep, this is the US version. There's actually a Dutch version that just came out. I don't oh, know wow. if that's relevant um, for y'all, but, you know, uh, yeah, if anybody listening to this speaks Dutch, there's a Dutch version of the book.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of random.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. The, uh, I guess, you know, the Dutch really wanted to learn more about sleep or something, but that was one of the uh, the, the very first foreign press that wanted to translate the book. Huh. But yeah. Um, Interesting. Interesting. You can go to my website, uh, drjadewoo.com, so drmyname.com. If you want to learn more about sleep, I have some resources and information on there. Um, And if you want to work with me, I only see patients in the U.S. currently, um, but I do have a resources page that maybe can connect you with somebody else in your uh, location. So, yeah, I wish everyone sweet dreams.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: You're so welcome. And this was really fun.
0: Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow and subscribe to stay up to date on new episodes. Until next time.